The Classic Comics Forum podcast presents issue number 34, John Sable Freelance, part 3. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'm your host, Scott Harris King, and today we're back with part three, the final entry in our three-part series about John Sable Freelance by Mike Grell. The first two parts, we covered the origin of the series and issues one through 27. Today we'll be covering the last half of the run, issues 28 through 57, and again, I'm joined, of course, by my special guest, Tartan Phantom, who's joined me for the previous two parts. So let's just dive right into it with no further ado. Here it is, John Sable Freelance, Part 3. So then we get another three-part and this is the one about the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a cool cover. Yeah, I thought that was really good. One thing that Grell's covers here, the sort of. Cover actually, is very. I mean, if that's if this cover here is not a nod to Bogart, I don't know what is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there are elements, of course, in these covers that tie into the stories, like the Falcon. But one yeah. thing about Grell's covers, just in general, I think Grell is a great cover artist. His cover, his design of the covers, he loves the circles and stuff. He's just really good. His Warlord covers are some of the, Warlord has some of the best covers of any series. Yeah. But a lot of times his his great sort of design, uh, these design covers, they're they could appear on sort of um, any issue. Like they're not they don't depict the story, and that's something that is across the board very widespread in modern comics i think he was ahead of the game there um i prefer it when it's more tied into the story personally just across the board but grell is so good that i don't mind it um here's the story where we get it's a maltese falcon storyline we get sunny uh is involved in this storyline because there's like an auction of these props from like these old hollywood movies and he gets these invitations to come in and um it's the story's fine uh, there's like a fake maltese falcon there's a real maltese falcon it's, he's very clearly being inspired by the movies and it, and it's it's all fine there were a few elements though that i again i didn't love um there's a thing where they go to a party and uh, there's this woman that's wearing like a dominatrix outfit and then she hits on eden and it turns out she's oh my gosh she's a lesbian yeah, yeah. and then uh, she turns out that she's like the assassin she's and so uh this sort of lesbian assassin thing like again overall i think Grell does a good job with the lgbtq depictions but but it's certainly not perfect and this one is in particular uh, i think the earlier stuff with gray is handled better than the later stuff for some reason as yeah. the series goes on we start to see stuff like this creep in there's another couple instances we'll talk about later um where i was just like this this felt um it felt very 80s in a way uh with this where it's sort of like mainstream america is suddenly discovering their that lesbians exist right um but it also felt a little bit beneath Grell uh, to to make that s sort of a central thing where it's like, 
oh, the assassin is a woman who dresses like a dominatrix because she's a lesbian. I yeah, don't know. I, I think, uh, and of course, the thing is, I'm, I was looking for the, for the, uh, it very clearly, uh, when I, the first thing that I, when I saw it, the first thing I thought of was, well, that's a, that's a swipe from uh, Diana, Diana Riggs outfit in an early Avengers episode. Ah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. <laughs> Um, the other thing about this story, though, is Growl's art, to me, does not look as good here. There's parts of it that look fine, but there's other parts where the inking seems very sketchy, yeah. and he starts to seem like he's being a little, he's he's rushing a little bit with the artwork. And, and I think he is, because I think, uh, I mean, the the... You know, when 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 Kirby was doing was pretty much doing it all, except he wasn't doing his own inking on the fourth world stuff. I think Mike Royer was doing a lot of his inking, uh, but uh, it, it just brings home how much you know when when you're when you have a a, a creator uh, uh, doing carrying the all the water, and 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 you can speak to this, Scott. I mean. Uh, you know, in creating a book or a series, how incredibly difficult and how time consuming it is. And sometimes some something has got to give, especially if you are with a publisher and you are on a timeline. Now, you know, in, in this day and age, with a lot of modern comics, <laughs> a timeline has gone completely out the window, you know. Uh, but back then, when they when the publisher is expecting a book every month, continuing the adventures of that character and you're doing everything pretty much on the book except the coloring uh it can be quite a strain on the creator and i think it really starts to show like you said it really started to show up in his artwork yeah uh so for me we're starting to see a little bit of a slide here first of all he cut back the number of pages he had to do by putting in the backup story yeah now we're seeing that the inking isn't uh it, the art's just not as polished as it was before. We get to the next arc, uh, two-parter. It's called Gauntlet. Yeah. Here's part one. There's part two. And this is a storyline where he puts together this crack team of commandos to go on a doofy mission to, like, Central America to, like, prevent a shipment of missiles from falling into the wrong hands. This, to me, is the first arc where I felt like he was phoning it in a little on a writing side. I, I think pretty much with these two issues, it, it's like he uh, uh, read uh, soldier fortune magazine. It's okay. Well, I'll just do a story based on something I read there. I thought this was arguably the worst story in the series because yeah, we get this batch of characters out of nowhere who are all just like goofy comic book characters. They're like, uh, yeah. they're like, it's literally like you're being introduced to the new recruits for the, in like GI Joe number yeah, 31. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's like, are we going to have an action figure about this? This <laughs> like, there's a woman who's half native American and is great with a bow. And then there's like, there's a guy like with a goatee who's an older guy that's bald and he like uses a knife. Yeah. And it's just like, it was really dumb. It's, it's interesting he didn't give him an Australian accent, you know. <laughs> um, even the, the personal stuff, there was, a, there was a sequence where he had this conversation with Mike um, about the relationship and about, you know, his wife, whatever it was. And it felt like 
it didn't feel like it had moved things on. It felt like they were having the same conversation that they already had. Yeah. And uh, that was feeling a little repetitive. There were more um, kind of off-tone comments. Uh, I don't remember if this is the issue where, but basically gay comments where yeah. when he's with this group of people, I forget if this is the one where they, he, um, there's one where someone's trying to explain what a bisexual is. I don't remember if this, this one. No, I think it's later. Yeah. I think there's in this one is like, you know, the banter between the people is, is sort of like macho, you know, I don't know. It, it, again, it felt like he phoned this in and it, it, it there's some problems as a result. Um, I did not like this one. Yeah. I, I would agree with you on that. It's a, it's a bit lackluster. And um, does feel very, very uh, stilted, for lack of a better word. No. Now, he found a great way to put out an awesome issue for 33 while yeah. still not doing nearly as much work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because this is a great issue where we finally see his leprechaun characters and his, and his book and Mike's artwork. Mike's artwork. Yeah. Um, but basically what happens is uh, there's like a, a deal for a cartoon and they go to Hollywood and Sergio Aragones has been hired to do it. And so they're looking at the storyboards. And so Sergio Aragones draws this whole thing where you get to meet all the leprechauns. Yeah. This issue is great. It's yeah. a great change of pace issue. Um, it's one of the best in the run, although it only makes sense really if you've read the rest of the series. So it's not really a standalone in that sense. Um, but this was great. I, I really, I really like the fact that uh, that in, in it, um, the characters, you know, the, the leprechaun characters are drawn. They're not just all Irish leprechauns. You know, the other, there's other characters in there, yeah. uh, you know, that are that are drawn from different walks of life and different cultures. And it's just it, it just it, it, it was it's a very fun issue. Yes, it was um, less fun, but definitely worth talking about is the next two parter. <laughs> uh, significantly less fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, here we go. Thirty four. 35 yeah uh well whatever it was yeah 30 30 30 this is 34 this is 35 um so basically what happens is he stumbles into this thing where there are these women that are being kidnapped by a bunch of white supremacists who set up this camp on the canadian border and they're basically using these women to breed a new generation of nazis and uh it's very distasteful. Um, so I didn't love, I didn't love that. There's a couple missed opportunities here. If he's going to have this group of people trying to breed a new race of Nazis, I don't know why he didn't tie it into the dangling plot point from issue two, where he'd set up this, this yeah. new Reich, but he didn't. Um, there's, but there are some things that are interesting because basically he, he, uh, there's this native guide who's like a spirit guide, but also just teaches him, how to how to hunt in the wilderness and they learn how to shoot a bow this is a direct precursor to a lot of stuff that he does in green arrow Um, all the bow theory and all of that stuff it's right on green arrow and there's also the extended sequences where it's just him drawing like wolves 
mm-hmm. and like the nature and snow and animals for like a lot and again we'll see a lot of that in green arrow we'll see a lot of it even later in shaman's tears this feels like how do i put this it feels like a transitional storyline for Grell as a creator. In the previous ones, it felt like he was losing interest in Sable. In this one, to me, it feels like less like that and more like he's gaining new interests in other things. So we're, now yeah. we're seeing he's, he's just more interested in telling other types of stories that don't necessarily fit in with the Sable that he, everything he's set up for Sable. We can see the direction he's gonna go um and there's more of that coming up right away in the next arc as well but he this felt like very much sort of like we can see where where Grell's attention really is um and it's unfortunate that it's sort of attached to this story that i found really distasteful <laughs> yeah i i wasn't a real fan of, of of these two because uh i i did like the introduction of the uh uh, the Native American character, and and I, and I think he I think he developed that character for this issue specifically, but I think he I think it was well developed for these two for this story. Um, uh, so that's really to me probably the most redeeming thing in, in the whole in the whole storyline, because yeah, the, to me the the whole um, supremacists with their with their white slavery and breeding ground it's it it, it feels. I hate to say cliche, but it's written as a cliche. It's like it's, it's right out of those um, those men's magazines from the '60s yes. that like Martin Goodman would be churning out, where right. it's like Nazi slave camp, and you have like the lurid exactly. picture of the women be like being dragged into the camp, and then there's like the hero is like jumping over the fence or whatever. It's just the only difference is there were no cool watercolor you know covers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then we get this, this, uh, four parter sort of, it starts here. Yeah. And, and a bunch of stuff happens. Basically, um, Sable has been starting to submit, he's been starting to write these like nature articles, not just his children's books and he's submitting them and he's gotten one, uh, basically he gets this gig to go to, africa on the safari and uh he's like i'll do it but only if mike can come along as my artist so he wants to show mike africa and so we get this we get again here's what girl is really interested in drawing these days and and they're great like the art the like his these nature art uh safari covers and stuff they're really fantastic Yeah, I really like uh, the the one for uh, the last issue in that arc. It's probably, it's, I mean, it's brutal, brutal from a nature standpoint. But uh, I, I really, yeah, I really like that cover. Yeah, it's great. The again, the design elements. The girl loves the yeah. circles, but also these little curly cues. It's sort of very, uh, I want to say, like Art Nouveau um, influence, and it's just great. You'll notice that this does not have John Sable on it. It's animals. And I think if you something we haven't brought up is the logo for John Sable Freelance. Yes, uh, which is uh, the the horns uh, of the Sable 
uh, the, of the African sable. Yeah, that, that, that those are the, the horns, uh, you know, for the B and the L. And a lot of people, uh, for what we're talking about, you know, they may think a sable is, they, they may think of the, you know, the, the weasel. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, now this is, there's a different animal, uh, not, as I say, an African sable, completely different animal. So the couple things here, like basically what happens is they, they go on this thing to Africa. It turns out the whole thing is a setup. They're supposedly trying to find this statue of a, of a gorilla that's supposed to be worth a bunch of money. But what they actually find is like a skeleton of a, of a gorilla that died. Um, and, but the whole thing was a setup because it turns out the woman was trying to get Sable to Africa, the woman who hired him, to have him murdered because it turns out she is actually the person that ordered his family to be killed because yep. she's in charge of the whole ring. So the guy that back in issue six that you thought was in charge of the ring, he was just like, a, he was a minion guy. This is the woman that was really in charge. And so uh, at the end of the storyline, Sable gets his revenge, but he and Mike have also, now they're in a committed like relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, this is the natural ending of the series. Uh, he and Mike have reached a point where they're, they're committed to each other. They're in a committed relationship. We've seen that whole arc from issue two all the way here to 39. We also see, correspondingly, the arc where at the beginning we see his family get murdered. We have the whole arc of him sort of trying to get over that. And there's some really great work that Grell does with, with Sable's grief. Uh, um, there's a great part where he uh, is with Mike and he gets so upset because he realized that he forgot the anniversary uh, I forget his wife's, of his wife's death. Yeah. And um, so he did some great stuff with it. And, but this, to me, this is where this, this is the end of the story. This is the story he's been telling from the beginning. And this is where that story comes to an end. Uh, I kind of wish the series had just ended with this issue with 39. Well, I, th I think it really ends with the uh, uh, 55 and 56, but I think here from here on, until until those last two issues, it's it's almost on autopilot. You know, um, so, I well, I'll be curious when we get to fifty five and fifty six because I think I have a different feeling about those okay. issues than you do. Um, but the other thing on the on the downside here, um, Grell's art continues to get sketchier and sketchier. We're going to start seeing that even on some of the covers. There's a couple things towards the end where he did some stuff on covers that I thought looked like he drew it with his toes oh yeah well uh yeah try issue 41 <laughs> so well we can get right into that now uh, 40 yeah. and 41 so with starting with issue the series doesn't end with 39 instead what we get is a series of stories that we probably won't spend a whole lot of time talking about here because they're completely inconsequential they're like they're plots that John Sable's in, but there, there's no development of the character. There's no development of the subplots because those have all basically ended. So it's just like here's Sable in this adventure, here's Sable in that adventure, here's yeah. Sable in another adventure, and none of them really have any consequence. Um, this one is about a guy who's a fan of John Sable and then he gets upset at John Sable. And so he decides to kill John Sable to prove that he's better than John Sable. 
and and see i think i think that's probably my least favorite storyline in the whole uh, in the whole series i know you disliked uh I don't like this one either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I forget the one you, that you were talking about earlier that you really didn't care for. Was it uh, the daily game story arc? Yeah. yeah um, but I, th- I think I like this one even less. Uh, yeah. It's, it's one. just, it, none of this is inspired here. It is. None of this is inspired. Uh, the letter column here is filled in issue 40 with people writing in to complain that Grell's clearly not giving the series attention that it deserves and that they need to um do something uh i think i think i have i think i have i can uh shed a little light on that and it probably had to do with the him working or negotiating for the short-lived television series around this time Yes, so the series didn't start until he had left the comic, but right, right. a couple things were starting to happen around this time. It's also around this time, a major thing happens at some point here, and I didn't track it nearly as much close as I should have. But it should be noted that Mike Gold was the editor of the series, and Mike Gold sort of shepherded everything along. But sometime around here, Mike Gold left. And so now he's got a new editor and Mike Gold goes over to DC and becomes an editor of DC. And one of the first things he does is he reaches out to Grell to try and get him to come to DC. And there's notes on that. It doesn't happen quite yet, but it's going to happen pretty soon. Um, In just a few issues, we'll, we'll get into where he really starts letting things go because he's busy working on a top secret new project he had a lot of career irons in the fire at this time yeah obviously the book you can tell the book suffered for that yeah so uh 42 and 43 we get another two-parter um this is an interesting cover because it's it's signed grell and it is grell but the inking is much more firm he has a very sketchy inking style like because he's a neil adams you know, he bases right. art on Neil Adams. This does not look like that. What this actually looks like is a very 80s, I just blanked on the guy's name, but there's this guy whose art was ubiquitous in the 80s who would have these these big prints of like uh, women. Um, oh, Stevens. Uh, no, no, uh, oh. not a comic book artist. Um, I blank on the guy's name. Um, a fine artist whose art was all oh. anyway if you just look at like if you just see look at the um oh i know who you're talking about i know you're talking about and he did a lot of he did a lot of halftone stuff as well um i know exactly who you're referring yeah to. i can't remember the name but um anyway it's just interesting this cover looks like one of those prints that you would see on a wall in 1986 yeah. he was, he was contemporary of olivia of course quite different styles but um uh, oh lord i can't think of his name I know exactly who you're talking about. Though. And then here's the next issue for people watching rather than listening. You can see it's got Rachel on the cover because it turns out that Rachel from that arc back in 22 to 24, it turns out she didn't die. And um, this storyline uh, is pretty goofy, but it's also tied directly into current events because it's basically the IRA for some reason is going to try and blow up the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And um, the, and 
Rachel's involved and it's very convoluted, but not in a way that I found that satisfying. In 1986, when this is coming out, the Statue of Liberty was being refurbished for its 100th anniversary. And there was this big thing where there were the whole year they had like all the or couple years they had all these construction crews that were fixing it up i've got a commemorative coin that they've sold to like raise money to to refurbish the statue of liberty and so the story takes place where they're going to unveil the refurbished statue of liberty only they don't know that the fireworks are actually like missiles that are going to blow it up or there's like a boat that they're gonna that they're gonna swim that's gonna go into and explode and blow up the statue of liberty for some for some reason there's an interesting thing here i guess one of the only interesting things for me is that rachel stable's like what about that thing we had and she's like you mean sex we didn't have anything like what do you, what, what's your deal like a little clingy moment i think is the way she's yeah yeah um it, it did feel very john sable she also was like why did you shoot the woman instead of shooting sparrow what are you a moron <laughs> so <laughs> so i mean this story wasn't bad but again uh, and, and i appreciated that unlike a lot of these around this time it actually had some connection to the character and the previous previous stories right but it also it still didn't quite feel like it was all there for me um but it was way better than the next one okay so yeah, the next one's pretty pretty bad there's things about this yeah it is bad is bad and I, I almost want to revise my previous statement about that deadly game storyline being my least favorite because this i found actually downright offensive in a couple a couple aspects not only is it bad it's this convoluted storyline where he ends up on a boat and there's um at like con film festival or something and someone one of the stars had just died and then there and so now all of a sudden there's this big thing he's be, he's been hired because there's only one print of the movie and the other prints have been destroyed and he's supposed to protect the final print because it's, now it's worth all this money even though it's a really bad movie and one of the other stars gets murdered on the boat and there's like all this intrigue and so what we eventually find out is that one of the there's a love triangle and one of the stars in the love triangle had AIDS and he didn't tell the other people that he was sleeping with and he infected both of them with AIDS. And so the star that died beforehand died from AIDS that he got from this guy. The guy that was murdered was murdered because he gave the third person AIDS and the third person killed him because of that. Mm -hmm. And so there's this cover up. And at the end, uh, Sable is like, I'm just not even going to tell anyone about any of this stuff because the guy had it coming because he's a scumbag. And I, this is, I have a lot of problems with with the way Grell used the AIDS crisis in this lurid way as a plot point. It's also clearly inspired by the then recent death of Rock Hudson, who nobody knew was gay until he died of AIDS. And then it came out in the press afterwards that he had died of AIDS and, and he was gay because they're trying to cover up that the star that died had died from AIDS. Um, this is actually the story with where the character that was murdered was sleeping with the guy and the woman, and this is where we have to have explained to us what a bisexual is. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, this, everything about this was bad. It was so bad. The only thing that wasn't bad was, strangely, there's a new artist that takes over because Grell's no longer drawing it, and I didn't mind the new artist. 
it's not as good as obviously Grell when Grell is like trying hard, but it's better than Grell not trying. <laughs> well, I, I would say this, that this is where Judith Hunt uh, does, she does the artwork in the book. And I, I will say with the remaining issues after this, I really wish they had stuck with Judith Hunt because I did not care for the art after that. Yeah, I, I thought the art here was fine, but this storyline was just, you know. It was, it was like a really bad game of Clue, Scott. It really was, you know. I, there's there's just no way to defend this. Like, I uh, I don't know. I just thought that it was inappropriate to use the, the AIDS as this plot point. And to and to to base the story, he's he's pulling a lot of stuff from the headlines, but to base this off of the death of Rock Hudson, I just, this, I'm, I, it hasn't aged well, but I can't imagine it was read very well when it came out either. Yeah, probably not, yeah. Um, so the next arc also seems to be ripped out of, out of the movies, but it's hard to tell because it's 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 basically Die Hard, um, <laughs> except it came out before Die Hard. Um, now, Die Hard, it should be said, was based on a novel that had come out in the seventies, and there were a bunch of movies and and st- books in the seventies that were basically like Towering Inferno. They're about skyscrapers with something right. happening, but this is extremely close to Die Hard, where That's there's amazing. There's like a Christmas party. Uh, if I remember, is it a Christmas party? There's a party. I forget if yeah, it's a it, Christmas it, one. It takes place around Christmas. Yeah. And uh, it's taken over by terrorists and he has to get inside the building and he's talking to the cop that's outside and coordinating with this cop. It's like it, I, I know. swore <laughs> when I was reading this that it was ripped off of Die Hard. But then I realized that Die Hard came out after this. Right. So I just I have to assume that he read the book because it's yeah. so close. It's very close. It's it's really scary how close the the plot line is to Die Hard. Uh, but yeah, when I and the first time I read it, and I have to say this, uh, this series, you know, I didn't pick up till much later in life, and uh, and so when I read it, it was well after Die Hard. It, the movie had you know had hit the screens way after that, and when I started reading the storyline, I'm like, what? And I had to check the dates yeah, me of too. the book, you know, as I like, wait a minute, when did this come out? And you get, it's just a few months before Die Hard uh, uh, hit the screen. Yeah. It's uh, there's a couple elements that are interesting in this. It's not as good as Die Hard. And there's a couple elements that are interesting to me. One is it's all about corporate greed and malfeasance, yeah. uh, which is a very eighties theme. Um, there's a thing that that is very distasteful where the where uh, this guy wanted a promotion and wasn't getting it, so his wife basically goes in and and is sleeping with his boss in order to so that the, her husband would get the promotion. Less said about that, the better. Um, one thing that I found interesting here is I, maybe because we see more of it from the cop's point of view. I don't know. But Sable's doing this thing where he just shows up on the scene and he's scaling the building and he's like sort of being a bit of a wise ass and sort of butting in and like telling him what to do and stuff. And I was like, Sable's kind of a dick in, the, yeah. in like uh, he's very smug in this issue in and which is hilarious considering he gets knocked unconscious and is dangling from a rope for like 15 pages unconscious because he's so useless. And yet he he really is arrogant in a way that um, is is uh, unpleasant, um, and I kind of like 
should I go back and look at his previous interactions? Because Josh Charles is always complaining about him, butting in on things. I don't remember him being quite as big of a dink in the previous times. But I, from reading this, I was like, I can see why the cops are irritated with this guy because uh, he's kind of a jerk. Right. Now, um, last thing I'll say, because um, but, but this is where Mike Manley takes over the art, and I really did not like Mike Manley's work on this book. I just, I, it, it was, to me, it was very unsatisfying and it just didn't, I just didn't like it. It's personal preference, but you know. Yeah. So issue 48 and 49, the prisoner. Uh, can I, I'm going to say three words about the, these issues. Okay. Prisoner of Zenda. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking too. Um, Kind of a reverse thing but yeah i really thought about the uh, royal flash again referring back to george mcdonald fraser as a historical fiction author and one of the flashman novels which is uh, you know heavily tied to prisoner of zenda and uh, and and these issues i mean when i started reading this i'm like it's not exactly the same but it is heavily based on that concept yeah, it's this two-parter is is fine. It's really goofy because of that. Like, Grell. I mean, uh, Sable. I keep wanting to call him Sable Grell because it's. Yeah. But, but um, Sable gets hired. You know, to to go to this little fake European country, and as usual, when he's hired by someone overseas, it's a trick. Because yeah. that happens all the time. No one seems to actually want to hire him for real. They're all trying to dupe him. And in this case, it's for a really dumb reason. It's because the, one of the noblemen looks exactly like him. They're, they're identical doubles. And so he, they, ca- they take him prisoner. And he's imprisoned there by uh, this old man and his daughter or granddaughter, whichever mm-hmm who is deaf and mute and so he teaches her sign language and then he she like is he's able to signal to her the the terrible secret plan and so she frees him and then he saves the day and there's like a a sword fight between sable and his evil doppelganger um appearance by the prince and princess of wales at the time yes that's right uh Charles and Diana show up at the end and they throw in a little bit of like geopolitics because yeah. Grell loves that. And I'm fine with that. Even goofier than the story. And I, and I didn't have a problem with the story. It's sort of fun adventure, old fashioned, like whatever it has. It doesn't have none of these stories after number 39s have had nearly as much weight as all the previous ones. Well, because they don't have any effect on the character. I mean, that's right. the thing about it. Like you said, they're basically, uh, uh, you know, mystery of the month. Yeah. Yeah. And so, goofier than this, though, the goofiest part of this is that at the beginning of the story, someone's like, "Boy, the pentathlon, that thing you used to do in the Olympics, is so goofy. It's just like this made-up thing. You like, you ride a horse and you shoot a pistol, like you sword fight, like that's dumb." And he goes into this spiel where he explains the history of the pentathlon. He's like, "Well, if you were a courier working for Napoleon during the yeah. Napoleonic Wars, you'd need to have these skills, and that's where it came about." And then he structured the story in a way where Sable has to use all five yep. of the disciplines in order to <laughs> save the. <laughs> 
and it was just i was just like no i face palmed at least six times it was, <laughs> it was so silly i mean it's a look don't get me wrong it's a fun story and i kind of like the story itself again not crazy about manly's artwork but um take it for what it is and just as you know, at face value it's it's a fun little these two issues a fun little story yeah, it's fun it's not like the the story uh at, with the film on the yacht right that, right that was inconsequential and offensive and terrible this is inconsequential but fun and stupid so i much prefer this one to that one it's an entertaining comic book um issue 50 they make a really big deal about this being the first first comic to reach issue 50 it's got a great cover yeah. By Grell, where uh, Sable is in full James Bond mode here. Oh, also- uh, let me back up just real quick. Yeah, yeah. And that the, um, I, I want probably one of my favorite covers in the series, and probably because I am a, I do uh, like, I've always liked the Prisoner of Zenda, uh, the story, the, the book, but it is the cover for issue number 49. Is it, I just, I just really liked. And again, you know, where you're talking about the inking on this cover is heavy um uh but it, it i i really i think this cover really worked for this book you know yeah and i love the cover for 50 uh the story itself is um it's maggie the cat shows up and she needs his help as always and they have some some sort of bickering uh there's not much to this issue i don't think um, one one thing that was a little felt out of character to me is that he goes to this party with Mike, and when he introduces Mike to Maggie the cat, Mike gets very sorry for the pun, but I don't really know how to describe it. She gets very catty. She gets very yeah. snarky and and sort of uh, marking her territory, possessive. That doesn't feel like Mike at all. No, it doesn't. Um, that's considering, considering the fact that she has that he has gone on missions particularly the 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 uh, guatemala mission uh, you know and just and really oh he's on a mission somewhere and i, I just let him he, he does what he wants you know pretty much and now you get to this and because there's another woman that he knows that she knows he knows from a previous engagement or experience with her uh it, it's like a skeleton in the closet and she doesn't want to hear it i mean you know and that doesn't make any sense for the character particularly because she seems to know right at the beginning that he's sleeping with Eden and yeah. she has no problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that just didn't work for me. One thing that happens, I don't remember if it's in the letter column for this issue. It's one of the ones right around here. So I'll just talk about it now is people are still complaining. And uh, the people at first are like, no, no, he's totally, he's totally invested in the series. You don't have anything to worry about. He's definitely not going to leave the series in just a couple months totally into it but they mentioned that you're going to be seeing a lot more growl because he's got longbow hunters coming out they, they talk about how one of the reasons he's not doing the artwork here is because he's busy working on this prestige limited series mm. i don't know if first comics knew yet that it was going to become an ongoing series after it sold so well but they're like uh he's spending a lot of time at dc but you're, you're gonna love it because he's gonna have this great you know longbow hunters um that comes out and so uh it's just interesting the timing because we know that there's only six issues left after this um so the timing of all this would be like hooray we got the issue 50 and now we're gonna immediately end the series uh it seems a little bit weird but that's why because we're, we're creeping up on the point where um Grell is really paying a lot more attention to um what he's doing for dc right yeah 
And you know, the story in this, the whole, it, 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 it is, it's, it's such a, it, it, the storyline involves a, a mafia skimming operation for, for those that have never read the book uh, and an insider uh, in, in the, into the family skimming from the family, take from the family, which, you know, uh, by all standards, uh, both unspoken and in media, you don't do that. You know, so it's really a trope, a, a mafia story trope. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's, a, it's, you could, you could look at any, any mafia film or film based on, on a mafioso organization and, and you would come up with a story like this. Yeah. But it's not a really original story either. So the six issues left, um, there's three different storylines here, but I'm actually going to just go over all of them at once. Let me just show you the covers first. Um, 51. Yeah. Again, it's very interesting because the Sable figure has very sharp inking. Yeah. The figures in the glasses are very sketchy, which is much more of a normal Grell style. I wonder about the experimenting but the other thing is the sketchy figures in the glasses, particularly the woman, are terrible. The woman, just the, the art on the woman, but it's really noticeable in the next issue. This is one where I'm like, I'm not sure Grell drew these characters because if you look at the woman on the cover of 52, this is the one where it looks like he drew it with his feet. It looks like the artist from Shatter was trying to draw a woman um, on this cover here. Uh, I don't know if I can get that there. It's just like so bad and uh, what's interesting is if you look at the cover it's signed grell on sable's leg but there's another signature on the building and i can't read it and i was trying to find the credits on the inside but this comes up again next issue there's a different credit for the background as opposed to the mm -hmm. figure yeah. and so I, he's got someone else working with him and it's just not does not look good like i'm not sure why grell couldn't spend the extra 45 minutes to draw the the little figures on this cover but they look really bad um and here's the one i was talking about this is i think this is the same artist that did the background the other one here's the next issue with the josh charles spotlight again we got the twin towers um it says grell yeah. and somebody else that did i think the background because the figure looks like it's all grow and then we get um 54 is is uh just you know a sable new design on the first comics right um 55 and then 56 the, yeah, the last issue. The last issue. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about these all together, because even though they have three different storylines, what happens in the first two, in 51 and 52, is that Eden's son shows up. Now, it's been mentioned obliquely before that she has kids from, from a failed marriage, and they live with her parents in Wisconsin. Her son suddenly shows up, and he gets foisted on Sable, which is a terrible idea for everybody involved. <laughs> and there's this client who calls asking for help, but Sable's not there. So this kid grabs a paintball gun and goes to try and save this woman who turns out to be this young woman about his age, who's a hooker with a heart of gold and the two of them fall in love. And that's all just horrible. <laughs> the next issue 53, which is the one with Josh Charles on the cover 
is a Josh Charles spotlight where we actually get his origin, where we see that he used to be a musician and he always wanted to be this musician and he ended up becoming a cop just because he needed to pay the bills. And then in the last three issues, we get this storyline where all of a sudden, never mentioned before, but all of a sudden, uh, Mike has a devious ex and we get this story uh, again where we get into some sexual politics stuff that I didn't really like. I'm not saying it wasn't realistic, but I didn't like where it turns out this guy had sabotaged her um, her birth control pills and she got pregnant and she had a miscarriage and he accused her of having an abortion and they got in a fight over it and he was this manipulative sociopath. And now it turns out that he's just gotten a divorce and he's coming back into her life and trying to, to, to get her back. And he's also coincidentally like the head of the, like a CIA, like bureau director or something. And so he once again hires Sable, but it's a trick because that's the only people that hire Sable are people that are trying to kill him. And uh, he hires Sable and sends him on this dangerous mission to sort of get him eliminated. And he, the, this guy thinks that the mission he sent Sable on is to intercept this shipment of arms that's destined for the IRA. But it turns out what it actually is, is an illegal shipment of condoms that they're trying to get into Ireland because birth control is illegal in Ireland at this time. And it turns out that the person that's running this operation is actually Sable's dad. And so we have all this stuff that comes up with Sable's dad. And so all of a sudden there's this big soap opera thing right at the end where uh, we get this weird triangle where where this guy is sort of trying to come in between Mike and Sable. And he's also a CIA guy. So he poses a real danger and none of them know that the other people are who they think they are like sable doesn't know that this guy was involved with mike and that sort of thing then the dad's involved and there's all this sort of drama what struck me and the reason i want to talk about these all at once is Grell's leaving the book right and we're going to find out that at at the end of 56 we we discover they're relaunching the series number one we'll talk about this in a minute with marv wolfman as the writer and of classic thing to do would be to leave a blank slate. And if he left everything the way it was after issue 50, Wolfman could come in and do anything he wanted because the last 10 issues didn't do anything and everything's just sort of status quo. So I find it to be a really strange decision that right as he's about to leave the book, he introduced, he suddenly goes back to, all the stories are involving the supporting cast and he introduces all these new complications, even the son, Josh Charles has a backstory and, and all this stuff. And then the dad's there and Mike's got this other guy involved and he's the CIA and he sets up all this convoluted character plotting that he's been totally ignoring for like a year and a half, sets it up just so he can leave and let Marf Wolfman deal with all the mess that he just set up. It seems like it would have been much cleaner to not set that up. And I don't fully know what his thought process was behind that. I'll tell you what I think the thought process was. I think the thought process was that it's his character. And so he wanted to leave, he wanted to leave those, those, uh, uh, ten, you know, the, he wanted to leave those tendrils in the story uh, so that 
uh, Wolfman couldn't ignore it right off the bat. Eventually, he could write it out, you know, in the next series. But, but I th- I really think that uh, that's what Grell did. Well, this this ties in. I think you might be right because I read an interview with Grell, and I wish I could have found it because I read this many years ago. I couldn't find it in time for this to. But I read an interview where he was talking about leaving the book. They relaunched it, just called Sable. Right. Marv Wolfman is writer, and he said, and, and and it's important to note that this was coming out right at the same time the TV show was about to debut. And so they, it was important to have the series continuing to go because they were expecting if the TV, if the, if the TV series is a hit, we're going to get all this money from the comic book sales. So they needed to have the comic book series going when the TV came out, but Grell was no longer interested in doing it. I read an interview where he said he specifically turned the book over to the new creative team of Wolfman or whoever the artist was, I forget. Uh, Yaska, I believe, Yaska, Bill Yaska because he knew that they couldn't possibly do justice to his series and that they were definitely going to fail. And he wanted the series to be canceled, but he didn't want to cancel it himself because so he basically was setting up the situation that was the best of both worlds for him where he would get the money from the series being published. But everyone would also be like, wow, Grell's version was so much better than their version. They suck at this. Only Grell can do this. And then the series gets canceled. He gets the rights reverted to him. He gets paid to do it. And he looks good by comparison. And I think it's very possible based on that interview where he said he did that. He turned it over to them specifically so the book would be canceled. It wouldn't surprise me just based on that. And this seems very mean spirited that he's intentionally sabotaged their launch of the book by setting up all these weird plot things right, right before turning it over. And it was like, good luck, dude. Well, you know, I mean, uh, Grell did know uh, Carmine Infantino, so he probably knew some tactics. There. <laughs> <laughs> when I read that interview, I was like, man, that seems really mean. Cause Marv Wolfman, I mean, not everyone loves his writing, but he's a well-respected long, like professional comic writer. Wolfman. I don't think he's a bad writer at all. No, I don't think so either. And so for Grell to say that he knew that the series was going to fail and he intentionally, he, he wanted it to be canceled. And that's why he like turned it over to these other people that he knew couldn't do it. That seems really mean spirited and, and kind of like a, a real dig at Marv Wolfman. And to be fair, the series did not end immediately. I've only read a couple issues, but the issues I read was like 26 and 27. So the series continued for two or three years before yeah, it, it petered it was, out. That's that's right at the end of the run, 26, 27, I believe. I don't think it lasted 30 issues. But, it's, you know, all told, it's not bad. And also, when you think about it overall, when you look at the other titles that first comics came out, so the, re- the regular run was 56. Yeah. So if you add 28 to that, or 27, say, let's just say 27, Right. So you get up to issue 83. Well, Grimjack ended with issue 81 because the whole company exploded. Right. So I'm not even sure that the series ended because of sales or because it was bad, but more because First Comics went out of business. Right. And our first was, was really having problems uh, at that point. So, uh, oh, and by the way, uh, just a uh, flashback uh, when we had our break uh, between sessions, Patrick Nagel is the artist. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. right. Uh, that's that reminiscent of Patrick Nagel style. Yeah. Uh, but all of a sudden, just like this, the series comes to an end and we get this new series by Marv Wolfman, which we just talked about that ended. We also get the TV series, which was a total failure and only lasted, I think, eight or nine episodes. Yeah. 
and uh, I haven't watched any of them. I've seen a, I've seen a couple clips. And well, if you're willing to brave uh, uh, a, a 240, <laughs> 240 resolution, uh, you can watch it on YouTube. They're all on there. It's pretty bad. Yeah, the bits I've seen made it seem like they basically took all the cool parts out and made it into like a run-of-the-mill, really crappy yeah. TV show. It's, and it's very, very 80s. I will say that. Yeah, so I watched enough of one episode to be like, I can't do this. But now, as an older, wiser person, I'm kind of like, maybe I should watch that because yeah. maybe... Yeah. Um, and, and that was basically it. Now, Grell first comics like we said it went out of business and a lot of the titles got tied up in all sorts of litigation in the early 2000s like over a decade later we started to see some mini series that are coming out with featuring some of the first comics characters that have been that are brought back um idw i think might have been the publisher uh grell came back to the series and did a couple short run like six part mini series right. um i did not read any of that for this i haven't um, read any of those um, I have them and I've read them at some point in the past, but I don't remember anything about them. Um, same with the Grimjack. The Grimjack came back as well. Uh, you know, I guess I don't want to talk too much about first comics. But I think they have a great legacy. It's too bad that they ran into the financial trouble because um, they had some great, great titles. Uh, but um, it's an interesting well, you, series. Fan, so yeah. I love Joe Staten stuff. So. John Sable as a series, though, um, it, it's an interesting, it, if you like the series, you will love Green Arrow because he took a whole bunch of the elements of this series yeah. and just brought them right into Green Arrow. All the stuff with the CIA and the the missions to Nicaragua with the missiles and stuff. Those ideas are also in there, but um, in some ways they're, they're done better in Green Arrow uh when you get to that point in this series where he starts stops sort of paying attention, that's where he's starting to pay attention to those same ideas, planning them for green arrow. So there's some great, like, I think green arrow actually suffers has the same overall arc as this series. Like the main storyline really comes to an end with issue 50 and some, you, you could argue even before that. Yeah. In fact, you could make a very good argument that the green arrows real storyline ends with issue 39, which is the exact same point where I think it ends in John Sable, because that's the point where green arrow decides he gets disillusioned with everything that's been happening. And he decides to leave America and go find himself. And then he goes on like a one year safari. And uh, after that, it just sort of loses the, the plot thread. But I think the first like 39 issues of green arrow are a tight, like really great, story and um a lot of the same themes there's some similarities with the characters where i really see a lot of similarity with all of his main characters is that they they have the same sense of humor it's definitely mike grell they tell the same types of jokes they tell sometimes the same jokes they have the same references to these old movies um they're very much like the same that aspect of the character is the same across all of them. Yeah. Um, so I think Sable gets, uh, John Sable, the series gets forgotten a lot these days in the conversation. Um, but I think it's, it's like, it's a really important series for the eighties. And uh, 
if you look at Mike Grohl as a creator, it's like you have to look at John Sable. Um, it's the perfect bridge between his Warlord. It's also worth mentioning that he did the exact same thing in Warlord that he did here, where he clearly lost interest. When he started developing his creator-owned books, he was still working for DC. He started losing interest, and the last two years of the series that are listed as being written by Mike Grell are actually written by his wife at the time, Sharon Grell, mm -hmm. who is ghostwriting using his name. And so uh, he is the same thing. He just lost interest in the character and the series and wanted to move on to the next thing, but kept doing it for the money. Um, so I don't know. What, what were your uh, thoughts on that as a whole? Well, I tell you, I really... Um... I really enjoyed this series uh, because from the get-go, for one thing, it was written, you know, it's, it's, it was a direct-only book, you know. Uh, it was written specifically for adults, and there's a lot of adult situations in the book. Matter of fact, uh, I saw an interview, and you may have seen the same one uh, that's on YouTube with Grell, and he talks about uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, where he's drawn and he's certainly not afraid to, to, to draw, you know, nudity or use nudity in his books tastefully, I might add in most, most cases. Um, and that there was one, that one particular scene in one of these books where, uh, uh, uh Mike and, and, and John Sable are together in bed, obviously, uh, <clears throat> doing what you do there. And, uh, after he got back from the printers, he saw that it had been changed. And the reason for that was that the printing company that, that printed books for first was the same company that also printed Watchtower for, uh, for Jehovah's Witness. And they said that the, some of the ladies at the printing company just went ballistic when they saw that some of what was coming off the presses. And, and uh, so he had to change that. <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, is that it's, for the most part, uh, except when we get again after issue, I say issue forty, you know, on down, uh, where it just uh, where he's going through the motions uh, in, in the series. Uh, it's written. The characters are all uh, seem, you know, for the most part, the main characters uh, are are written as regular people. I mean, there's there's not a uh, a standing, and even even Sable as a character, you know, obviously has his faults and they're revealed throughout the book. Um, but uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really get mired uh, in, in uh, drama as far as uh, like Claremont's writing that just so oftentimes just got drugged down by the drama in, in, right. in his books. Uh, and, and I think part of the reason for that is the way you know, as we've seen, uh, doing short story arcs and maybe a one-off a one, a one -off issue here and there or a series of two or three one-off issues break, broke that up to where it didn't seem like an endless soap opera. Uh, I mean, I, 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 for anybody that, uh, that likes, um, uh, you know, I thought I, I, one, of the, one of the analogies I often use is... Um, I often put a lot of Nick Fury, not the book, but the character into, in, into John Sable. And if you like, if you like Fury as an individual character, uh, you would probably, you probably like the series. 
Yeah, I have to say, like, uh, I haven't read the series in about 20 years. Um, maybe maybe 25. Yeah. Um, I, I bought it all after the fact, and I read it all at once. That's what I did. And, and I really liked it. I didn't like it quite as much this time as I did the first time. And that's partially, I think, just I'm, you know, a different person now. It's a different yeah. time now. I was also reading it with a critical eye as opposed to just for just to enjoy it right i i think that uh the it's clear to again to me that he just held on a little too long and it's understandable because he needs to make a living and selling well and he's that's his job um but it felt to me like his heart stopped being in it you can start to see as early as issue 28 or 29 he's starting to lose focus a little bit and then after issue 39 for me he's kind of phoning it in for most of the rest of the series and some of those are still fun some of them are terrible as we've discussed but um overall i mean i think it's i think it's a really good series when he's really dialed in for the you know the first uh 25 30 issues or so the art's excellent um the character work is, is excellent so uh, it's definitely definitely worth a read right, for everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I think in the first twenty issues or so, some of the best artwork that Grell's done. Um, yeah, I really do. Uh, it, and and you know, and the fact that uh, that you know there were he, it was it was evolving, and you can see it evolving as it goes along. We mentioned the 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 battle mask early on and the dropping of the battle mask, which was really not a mask at all. It was face paint, you know yeah and and uh, and seeing that that element wasn't really working with the audience you know again he, he dropped it uh, really i think for the betterment of the character because it made the character more real This episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'd like to thank my guest, Tartan Phantom. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion of John Sable. Of course, next time we'll be back with an all-new topic, an all-new guest, an all-new comics excitement. Uh, for now, of course, though, you can always visit us at classiccomics.org to join in the conversation. See you next time.